listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, May the 18th in the year of our Lord, 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to be taking a look at a lesson for the seventh Sunday of Easter, this coming May the 24th in the year of our Lord, 2020. Lessons are from Acts chapter 1. Uh, yes, normally you have an Old Testament reading for the first lesson, but during the season of Easter, the first readings are from the book of Acts. Then the epistle is 1 Peter, and the gospel is John 17. We're going to be examining 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19, and then chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. So how does he start off? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Now, I find that interesting that he starts off with the word beloved. There are a number of ways in which the Greek has the word love, but the one that we really like is in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Therefore, that love wasn't motivated by some kind of item that God was going to be able to collect that he didn't have or some other selfish reason. It's the word agape which means an unselfish love. Now, Peter refers to his readers as the beloved. And that word in the Greek is again from the word agape. So that the love we have for one another isn't so that we get something out of it, but so that we can give something into it because of what Christ has done for us. So, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You know, a lot of Christians have that kind of an attitude. Something terrible happens to them. They'll go to the pastor and say, what did I do to deserve that. Now, we, we find that in other religions, it's called karma. What comes around goes around, or what goes around comes around. So that during bad weather, people are complaining, well, God must be getting even with me. I, I believe even some Christians have that attitude. It's a law and gospel problem. If their crops are really growing well and they're getting an abundance of fruit, a harvest, well, God really loves me. But if hailstorm comes and destroys it, uh-oh, I must have done something wrong. Now, the interesting thing that God does here is he talks about that the fiery trials that we have are to kind of test us. In other words, it's kind of like I never made steel, 
but when you make that, you can test it to make it stronger. And that's what God does through fiery trials. I am uh, been interested in watching, I, I don't know how these cameramen do it in Africa and other places, but they follow a pride of lions or jackals or hyenas was the one I was looking at last night. And it was just really amazing to see how the hyenas work. Uh, when they're two months old, the mother begins to take them with her on hunting trips. They are behind her. They can't run near as fast as they're going to be able to. They can get up to 100 kilometers per hour, we are told. But at this age, their legs still need to be fashioned more. But what was fascinating, they would follow behind their mother. There were five of their little ones, and they would do exactly what the mother did. As she walked slowly forward in the hunt, she would crouch down, then they would all crouch down in the grass. Whatever she did, they did. But then they got to a point where she was near what she was hunting for, and she lay down in a certain way that made the cubs lie down, and they were to stay there as she went after the hunt. Now, they were very hungry. And that hunger made them really love their mother more and cling to her. So when they got a test or when another enemy would come, say another lion, she would help hide them and then often direct the lion's attention away from her cubs. And that was also true with um, lions. You may not know this but there's male and female lions, and the hunters are not the males. They're the females. And so they were showing how the females had brought down a large cow, and when they brought it down and killed it, the lion came on the scene, the male lion, and shooed them away. Now, why was he doing that? Why were the female lions allowing him to do that. And the commentator made the point that they were allowing him to do that because he would also guard and protect them from other male lions. Because if other male lions came in and beat up the main, main lion, those other lions would then eat the cubs. And so in order to protect herself and her cubs, she would allow the male lion first to go and have his fill of the meal, and then they would follow that. Well, this is very much the same thing that God does with us. Can you imagine if you were living in a perfect paradise right now, where everything you wanted, everything you thought you needed, you would get? You would have no need to trust in God. You would have no need to have a God. And so Peter is saying to the Christians that are going to go through some real testing, times of tribulation, persecution. He says, don't think 
that what you're going to experience is something strange happening to you. And the word in the Greek for strange can also mean alien. Like if you were walking down the highway and all of a sudden some creature from outer space showed up and it didn't look like any creatures we had here on earth, you would consider that an alien contrary to earth. Well, Peter is saying that you will be experiencing persecution, fiery trials, but don't think that that's something alien or strange when it comes upon you. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. What's he talking about? The glory to be revealed is, of course, judgment day, when you will be taken if you're in the grave. Your spirit already is in heaven, but your body will be reunited with your spirit, and you will rejoice. If you have such a wonderful life on earth, and this occasionally happens to me, I'm so enjoying life here on earth, preaching at congregations, teaching on KFUO, driving for Uber, and having conversations with individuals, although not as much since this virus has occurred. Uh, having a great time, sometimes you don't look forward to heaven as much as you might need to. And so God says, sends an alien thing, so now heaven looks forward much more than it did. And when you go to heaven, you will rejoice totally. Verse 14, if in these fiery trials you're insulted for the name of Christ, in other words, you may be talking about here is God's will for how we are to live. And it would be really contrary to the way a lot of people think today. They don't have a problem with all kinds of immoral activities. Uh, they don't feel bad when somebody is killed. They don't feel bad when racism occurs. They don't feel bad uh, when other immoral acts occur. And, and that's too bad. But when the Christian stands up for God's word, we can be insulted. They'll look at us and say, well, that's old-fashioned. I just saw a wonderful movie, and it was a couple who were married, and they were killing other people. And the reason they were is society wouldn't accept their marriage because they were a brother and sister. They said, no, love trumps everything. And of course, we're hearing that in gay marriage and the same kind of argumentation, who refuse to listen to the word of God. So if you're insulted for standing up for Christ, that's really a blessing because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But, and this is verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. So there's no doubt 
we can all suffer. But if it's a consequence of standing up for Jesus, that is a wonderful blessing that draws us closer to him. But if it is a consequence of evil that we have done, God can still use it to help us to draw closer to him, where is our only hope and salvation. That's why prison ministry on the part of pastors is often so successful because the law has really hit a prisoner between the eyes. So, if anyone suffers as a Christian, verse 16, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And what's the gospel? It's really not law, except it's an invitation. Jesus began the gospel in Mark with the words, repent and believe in the gospel. Both of those items only can be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the baptism of John the baptizer was all about. And of course, nobody can believe the gospel of God. It's so ridiculous. It's so unreasonable. But through faith, you come to trust those promises. Verse 18, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, wait a minute, aren't all human beings sinners? But that's correct, except for when the Bible is making a distinction between human beings, like male or female or young or old or righteous or sinner, it's because the righteous who have received the gift of the forgiveness of sins are no longer considered by God as a sinner, even though we repent daily of our sins. Then, verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And that word entrust means what? It's referring to the idea that we put our life into the hands of God. In other words, to let God take care of us. And it is a keeping of our soul to kind of entrust something to someone means you're going to keep it in a proper place. Now, the text continues in chapter 5, but it moves to verse 6. And verse 6 of chapter 5, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. 
Now that word for humble is a word that really is tied closely to repentance. To humble ourselves means to set aside what we think is owed us and maybe even help others by giving it to them. And if that happens, then God will exalt us. In fact, that reminds us of two other things about Jesus Christ. You know, he has two natures. He's got three offices. He also has the humiliation and exaltation. In humiliation, he was humbled. He was God. He would never become hungry. He became hungry as a human being. He never would get sleepy. He became sleepy. He never would die. He died. And God, therefore, exalted him to the right hand of God. That's the same word that God uses concerning you. You, too, will be exalted to the right hand of God. When you trust your whole life under the mighty hand of God. Now, how do you do that? Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because, what's the next phrase? Because he cares for you. And that word anxieties also can be traded Uh, translated as all of your cares. Everybody has some kind of a care. You um, get up every morning and you pray the car is going to start. Yeah, about a week ago, my wife went, put a check in the bank, came out of the bank, the car wouldn't start. It just wouldn't start. She phoned me and I came over with, you know, the other car, but of course it was at the bank. So we called AAA And this wonderful man from AAA came out and he checked it over. He said, I think it's your starter. And he had a tool and all he did is touch the starter while my wife turned the key and the thing started. And yeah, that's what you need is a new starter. And he said, you can drive it to wherever you're going to get it fixed as long as you don't turn it off because it won't start again. And so that's what we did. And sure enough, they tested some other things and found out that's all it was, was a starter. Although it ended up costing $500, but that was a care we had. God took care of us. I was at home. We had another car I could bring. AAA showed up. Uh, They didn't have to tow it. Uh, Took us right over to the gas station. And the next day in the afternoon, we picked it up, and now it's got a nice starter that starts. We cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. And that word cares or careth means he really doesn't have a bad thing to say about you because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Therefore, in light of all of these gifts from God, the next phrase is, be sober-minded, be watchful. 
your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It was kind of interesting that lions really like it when it rains a lot, uh, wherever they are in their particular habitat. And the reason for that, if it doesn't rain a lot, then the grass doesn't grow very high. And people, uh, people, other animals still eat the grass, but then they can see a lion from afar because he's not hidden by tall grass. But when there's a lot of rain and the grass is tall, the lion can prowl. And a couple of times there was an antelope had no idea that a lion was only a few feet away. And although they can run faster than a lion, if a lion's got a good jump on them, boy, they can be in trouble. And so that's what God is saying. The devil, he's an adversary. That means he's your enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Therefore, verse 9, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. In fact, I would make a bigger point than that. I think Christians throughout the world are suffering much more than Christians in the United States. I have yet to hear of a Lutheran pastor in the United States who is put to death because of his preaching and teaching. Oh, occasionally there'll be some robbers come into a church early on a Sunday morning with the crowds there, and they may rob the people, may shoot one or two of them, shoot the pastor. But it's not because of the preaching that's going on. It's because they're just crooks. But in other countries, wow, people are being put to death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so we need to remember what we're going through is no different than what they're going through. Verse 10, and we're in 1 Peter 5. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What does that mean? Well, it's kind of like you're driving a car, and it might be a fairly new car, and somebody runs a red light and hits you in the front of your car, and boy, is it damaged. So you take it to the appropriate place where they fix such cars, and guess what happens? It almost looks brand new when you get it back. Might have a new fender, new paint jobs, and the insurance all paid for it. Well, that's what God does with you, that he will restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you as his child. And therefore, verse 11, which is the final verse for our epistle reading for this coming seventh Sunday after Easter, it reads, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, you might read that and wonder, 
what do they mean by the word dominion? Well, the word dominion is actually a word that can mean strength. Uh, For example, if you've ever watched weightlifters, one comes out and seems pretty skinny. Maybe you can lift 100, 200 pounds. The next guy comes out, he can lift four times as heavy. And you say, wow, there's a fellow with power. There's a fellow with strength. Look at the force of his might. That's the Greek word that Peter uses here. And it's not referring to you. It's referring to Jesus Christ. To him be the dominion forever and ever. He is the one who has all power and nothing for you to worry about. So that takes care of our lesson for this seventh Sunday of Easter that will occur next Sunday. We may be taking a little time off. We may not be back live next Monday, but it'll be a repeat broadcast. But tomorrow with Mark Smith, dear Christians, one and all rejoice. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.